Welcome to the X Wing Task Podcast. My name is Willie Simpson. I'm Sonia Rappaport. And today, Sonia, we are in the second episode of season five, the 66th episode overall, The Phalanx Covenant, part two. We are back dealing with these phalanx people and their phalanx problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode, I. <laughs> what's so fun? Why are you laughing at me already? Go ahead. Uh, this episode, I thought, was uh, even better than the first one. Oh, yeah? Yeah, do you want to give us a brief recap of what happened last week? Uh, last week we met the Phalanx. They're a Borg-type society that assimilates everything in their path. And they came to planet Earth and started assimilating. They set up their headquarters at the Empire State Building and really captured all the humans and... And the X-Men. Yeah, but the X-Men, the mutants, they couldn't figure out how to assimilate yet, so they just had them in little, like, bot pod bubbles mm-hmm. in in there. And our friends Hank McCoy uh, was... and Forge. Forge, yes. Mr. Sinister. Were teaming up... They were the resistance. ...to uh, fight this phalanx with that's, their incredible uh, biology knowledge. That's true. Right. They are three super geniuses they got uh, to uh, save the Earth. I guess that's who you'd want in a pinch, perhaps. Uh-huh. But can we skip to the very end of this episode? Because I, I'm... Episode one or two? Of this episode. Episode yeah. two. I'm very confused about this phalanx business. Uh, well, what I left out from the recap of episode one, though, yeah. is that there's... Who, what's, what's Warlock? Warlock. That's their friend's name. Yeah, he's phalanx-like, but he's not fully assimilated. Right. He said something in the first episode that, like, on his birthday or something, it's it was his destiny to merge with the Nexus, mm-hmm. and but he resisted because he just wants to be with his life mate. Yeah, and be in love. But I, I mean, I have many questions about this. This is why I want to skip to the very end right away. Okay. So uh, spoilers: the X Men saved the day. You know, um, <laughs> end episode. No. Um, and they're like, Forge is like, yeah, we'll build a ship for you to return back to your home planet, uh, Warlock. And he's like, great. Uh, I'm gonna go there and fulfill my destiny of destroying the Nexus and freeing my people. Right. So his destiny changed. Right. But my question <laughs> is. Uh, are his people the phalanx, or is he just a different alien world that was captured by the phalanx? No, he's an alien. His alien world was also captured by the phalanx and assimilated. Are we sure about that? Yeah, they showed it. I, I'm not sure. But I, I wonder if he's if he's from the phalanx planet, and he's just this independent phalanx. I don't think there's any such thing. If you're phalanx, then you're assimilated. Well, it turns out we just went back and watched episode one again. <laughs> um, basically, he is from the phalanx planet and the reason his name is warlock it's a title not his name mm. and his destiny was to lead the phalanx for conquest but he refused to merge with the nexus so he escaped with his life mate and this is i guess more of a recap of episode one to answer these questions to get away from that life mm-hmm. so i guess at the end of episode two his new goal in life is to uh is to free his home planet from this Nexus-like control so they can all, I guess, be independent like him and his life mate. Yeah. Right. It's just kind of weird that the society of the Phalanx is such that you grow up independently, but once you reach maturity, you merge with the Nexus. That's sort of bizarre. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll get back into all the weird Phalanx society structure stuff as we go along here. But in episode two, um, which, like I said before, it's a really good episode, better than the first I thought really exciting and interesting. A lot of strange sci-fi concepts going on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of uh, satisfying cameos from the X-Men universe. Um, So basically, 
uh, it opens. We get we reestablish that the Empire State Building is captured by the Phalanx, and it's it's serving as the spire of uh, the spire of evil that's connecting with the home Phalanx planet. And I guess essentially that they're going to send a signal out to the rest of the Phalanx, and then it'll be easier to conquer Earth that way. I'm not quite sure what purpose the spire serves. Maybe it's just for the purposes of planet Earth that it needs to broadcast the feeling signal over Earth entirely. So, um, you know, it, it's the focal point anyway. It's the feeling's home base. Uh, Mister Sinister, his ship is the home base of our mutant friends. We discussed Forge, uh, Mister Sinister, and Beast. Uh, they're trying to figure out what to do. Um, they discover that uh, metals are more quickly absorbed because they're good conductors. And that, for whatever reason, mutants are resistant to to being taken over by the feelings, as you suggested, right? And um, and that and then that's why they realize that Mister Sinister's lab and Xavier's school were targeted because they're storehouses of cutting edge mutant genetic research information, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but they need they decide, which I thought was interesting, strike for science. I mean, a, a good strike for science. Beast and Forge decide they need a lab to keep studying <laughs> to fight this problem, and they need time. Right. And uh, Beast surmises that the only there's a perfect place on Earth, uh, Muir Island, because it's an island, and it's also the uh, the last refuge of mutant you know research and information. So they hightail it to Muir Island. Uh, and then we cut to our pal Wolverine. He's been captured by the Phalanx. Uh, and he's fully in costume. I don't remember if he was in costume when he was captured in the last episode. I could be mistaken. But my memory is such that he wasn't in costume. But who cares? It's funny. Uh, he's captured. And we meet a like a weird villain that only made the briefest of cameos in the X-Men series, Cameron Hodge. Mm-hmm. He was in the Slave Island episode all the way back in season one, I think episode seven. And he's just an ancillary, like, Genosha bureaucrat who is working with the leader and others, I guess maybe even Gyrick, in uh, in the Slave Island episode. They're building Sentinels, and he's working with the Genosian government. And at the end of that episode, if you remember, Storm causes a huge tidal wave that destroys the Sentinel factory base. And uh, Hodge is captured on that bridge with Cable and, and the leader and some others as the huge shadow wave is coming. We presume that Cable body slides away uh, with his time-traveling abilities or teleportation technology. But Cameron Hodge gets uh, you know, washed away. And then he reveals here that he lost an arm and a leg on Genosha, which really upset him at the time. And he really still hates mutants deeply for that. So that's like some weird backtracking backstory all the way like four, from four seasons for a very minor character. I found that bizarrely interesting. So now he's he's like sort of the weird like lead human mind in the phalanx uh, on Earth. He calls himself the ambassador. Right, yeah. So he, I guess like he's helping the phalanx get around and like know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he explains more of his backstory we'll talk about, but I thought it was funny, too, that as the phalanx, you know, he's just pretty much a disembodied head at this point. He still has his eyeglasses. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was a a nice touch. Uh, 
And he mentions that Wolverine is going to be like the perfect test specimen for their plan to assimilate mutants, which, as we said, they're having trouble doing because his adamantium bones are a good conductor. So I guess the idea is that through his skeleton, they'll be able to better understand his DNA, perhaps. Uh, it, it sounds pretty gruesome, and Wolverine is uh, sadly no stranger to people violating his body for the purposes of... Specifically his bones. Right, specifically his bones for the purposes of, like, gruesome scientific experimentation. Mm. Uh, and, you know, uh, what else is going on here? Uh, Beast lands... Uh, Beast with his crew land in Muir Island. Uh, there's, you know, uh, Moira McTaggart's there, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're surprised to discover that Amelia is there as well. And Amelia is a sort of interesting cameo because she's from season four, the uh, Asteroid M episodes. She's kind of the jilted lover of Professor X, who... Another one. And yeah, another jilted... Yeah, her and Moira working together. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of bizarre. This Mirror Island lab is just collecting Professor X's uh, X romances. Professor X's X's. Right. <laughs> they could they could form their own elite superhero team. Yeah. X's X's. Uh, so she's there. Beast is surprised to see her. Uh, he comments that he's been really tired. That he's been up for like forty eight hours, essentially, uh, trying to save the world. Uh, another surprise cameo is Banshee. Uh, it's not a surprise cameo. He lives at Muir Island with Moira. They're in love. Well, yeah, obviously when you put it that way, that makes sense. But it's always a surprise <laughs> to me as the viewer that, you know, it's like sometimes they don't remember those details in the cartoon. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I remembered. Right, you remembered. <laughs> uh, it, and it's good. They, that's why the show's good. It has the logic of things like that, that yeah. Banshee would be at Muir Island uh, helping Moira McTaggart. Uh, and then, you know, so they're in the lab, uh uh, trying to like come up with some kind of virus to fight the phalanx. Uh, meanwhile, outside, Mr. Sinister's, Mr. Sinister's weird purple, gross ship. Mm-hmm. How would you describe his? It's like his organic ship. Yeah, it's like it's got a purple casing, but inside it's got weird like green goo holding up all the pilot seats and yeah. stuff like that. Anyway, it gets taken over by the phalanx. Uh, it's kind of, I like how. It does get taken over. A seagull lands on it and just pecks it once. Uh-huh. And, I, and I guess the seagull was part of the phalanx. Right. And so the, the whole ship gets transformed. Um, but meanwhile, back in the base, uh, they, they've come up with this virus thing. And Warlock, who is quite heroic and brave in this episode, he volunteers to be the one to deliver the violence to the phalanx core. When the they virus. Get, right. When they get to that point. Um even well, it's like it, an antivirus. Right, it's antivirus. It's like right. something well, to, to neutralize the, the phalanx. Yeah. So, yeah. Which essentially would mean self-sacrificing himself and his life mate. Possibly. He doesn't know. Right. But no, well, his point is, though, that like if it doesn't work, and if it doesn't work the way they think it will, right? They manufactured this antivirus because they think that they found a way to reverse the effects of the phalanx and return everything that was assimilated to its natural state. But they don't really know, and there's a possibility that it'll just, like, destroy everything yeah. that the phalanx had taken over. So then Warlock is like, all right, well, we have to administer this, otherwise your planet's done. Yeah. It might kill my life mate because we don't know where she is. And himself as well. And so he volunteers himself because yeah. if she dies, then he's willing to commit suicide. It's oh, yeah, like that's a, right. It's like a Romeo and Juliet kind of situation. Yeah. It's pretty dark and tragic and sad, <laughs> and because Warlock is so likable and friendly. 
you know, but he's like right away, like backed into a corner. He's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to kill myself to save your planet. And I, I don't want to live in a world where my true love is dead, too. So whatever. Here we go. Yeah. So Warlock's fully on board for this suicide mission. Uh, maybe it would have been funnier if uh, he was a little more resistant and <laughs> the like, you know, Beast and Forge would just kind of look at each other like, do we have to convince this guy to kill himself? <laughs> no, <laughs> the, that's like, even Faced darker. with a moral quandary. I know, they wouldn't go there. No, but. This, is, this is like his, you know, he feels like his life isn't worth living if his true love is not yeah, there. So. Yeah. Well, how convenient for Beast and Forge, who yeah. are definitely moral people. Right. Right. Uh, Mr. Sinister would be less so. He probably would force Warlock to do it. Uh, but anyway, um, so as we said, Mr. Sinister's ship gets transformed into some like walking phalanx beast. And they all run outside to fight it. I kind of like these scenes where mutant characters just unleash their powers at things. Mm-hmm. So you see just Banshee screaming at this thing and uh, Mr. Sinister blasting his hand lasers at it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's always just funny to me, just to when characters have no choice but to just uh, unleash uh, intense power at mm-hmm. an inanimate object. Um, so, but that doesn't do much. Uh, they They have to retreat back into the base. Uh, the phalanx is following. Uh, we get a classic resistance is futile line mm-hmm. from one of the phalanx things, and which is, you know, they're really not hiding the fact that they just stole the concept of the Borg from Star Trek Next Generation, yeah. which is the classic Borg line, resistance is futile. You know, it, it's. It, I think it's fine. Just steal it. You know, that it's not quite in the territory of... Uh, you know, that famous line that great artists steal kind of thing, uh, like that Picasso made popular. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because this isn't, I wouldn't like put this in the world of this or Star Trek The Next Generation, the world of high art, but it's good sci fi. <laughs> so might as well just take it. Right? I almost thought maybe it's a nod to like the parents watching along with their kids if there are any, because the kids definitely are not watching Star Trek. They don't know where that's from. That's it's not necessarily true. Sec- but like if the parents are, they might be like, oh, ha. Huh, like, Star Trek Star Next Trek. Generation was a kid friendly show. Or, yeah, maybe. But. Yeah. For the nerdiest of the nerdiest kids, I think. Seven year olds? Eight year olds? I was, but like, this is 1996 that's... at this point, so the show with the audience has aged a little bit. So I was 12. Uh-huh. I think uh, the audience is getting older. It doesn't matter. The point is, right. it's um, you know, I think it's more of just a nod to Star Trek in general because when, remember when we talked to Eric and Julie Lee Wall, they said they were huge Star Trek fans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they've they brought a lot of Star Trek to this series. Yeah. Um, so you know they're trying to escape. Mora's got a her own high powered fancy jet. Like a lot of ancillary characters in the Marvel universe in general have incredible planes. Uh, I know the Avengers have the Quinjet, the X-Men have the Blackbird, uh, Mr. Sinister apparently has his own high-powered ship, and I'm sure there's many more examples. Mm-hmm. But in comic books in general, you know, Batman has the Batplane, Wonder Woman has the Invisible Plane. Uh, like I said, there's there's many more examples of this. I wonder if Professor X has anything to do with Moira McTaggart's funding for her mutant lab. That's a really good plane. question, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I've always been curious about the extent of Professor X's wealth. I bet it's something you could look That's up. That's why I brought it up to you. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably not as rich as Tony Stark. I feel like Professor X's wealth is a thing where if he ever needs money, he could just easily amass it. Uh-huh. Through, like I've suggested in season one, manipulation of the stock market somehow. Or just... But he's a moral person, so he wouldn't do that. I don't know if his morality limits himself from just, like, somehow amassing 
funds through some kind of systematic like loopholes he can exploit in the system because of his psychic powers. I don't think he needs to, though. He has powerful friends, right? And yeah. he runs like a lucrative school. Well, no, the school's not necessarily lucrative. Yeah, I guess not. He's not charging. The school is a charity organization, right. essentially. It's from runaways, mostly. Yeah, that's true. I think he just, like I said, I think it's, I think the presumption, I don't think it's ever really addressed in the comics. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I'd love to hear about it. But uh, for one thing, he's from wealthy parents, right? Uh-huh. He inherited a lot of money from his father Yeah. and his mother. I think they were, like, really famous, like, powerful scientists or something. Mm. The original script, and I might be wrong here, is that they were they both worked on uh, the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be pulling that out of my ass. But either way, they they're, they have wealth. And I, they're probably some, like, English... They're English, too, if I had to guess, or maybe even Scottish. But the point is, he got wealth from them. But I'm just saying that I, I really feel like the subtle, the, the subtle implication is that he somehow uses his psychic powers to get the money. Like, I don't know exactly how that would work or from what. I'm just saying the stock market. I, you know, I don't, you know, because I think of that movie Pie. You ever see that? I don't um, really remember it. Yeah. Who, who directed Aronofsky, right? Yeah. That's an Aronofsky. This is one of his first movies. So the movie Pives is black and white indie film, and it, it was actually really cool. It's about this like super genius who lives in a basement in New York somewhere, and he's in, like a cutting edge uh, computer programmer slash inventor, and he's he's a mathematical genius. Like that's the that's the root of his genius. Mm-hmm. And the plot is spoilers if you haven't seen Pi. He's trying to invent like a computer chip that's going to predict the patterns of the stock market and he wants to d- do it for the sake of science i think like on his own mm-hmm. and but there's all these like weird like like dark sleazy stock firm agencies that are trying to fund him and give him like money and supplies without him wanting it mm-hmm. because they're obviously interested in his research mm-hmm. and stuff but uh you know but through the course of that he like discovers I think he like starts like applying his computer algorithms to the Bible or to the Torah, and he's like trying to crack like the, the name of God or something like the unknowable name of God, and and there's all these like weird like underground I think Kabbalic rabbis that are after him too because he's going down this path, and like all this weird like semi strange spiritual like techno spiritual stuff happens to him. I don't remember how it concludes. I think okay. he go, I think he goes insane or something by the end. The point is like. I always think of Pi when I think of Professor X as well. <laughs> I think he's got some kind of fucking computer that, like, invent- predicts the stock market, and he, like, plugs it into Cerebro and just, you know, knows what to invest in on a day and make and just, like, transfer a billion dollars to his private slush fund, uh, you know, off Muir Island or something, <laughs> and that he can give to Moore and McTaggart, back to the main point here, or use to, like, build, like, you know, PSYOPs, crazy shit in his basement of the x-mansion uh-huh. you know like the blackbird or the danger room yeah. things like that right like, and buy the costumes like <laughs> whatever it is so um anyway uh <laughs> as the x-men are trying to escape uh uh banshee and more are, are captured by the phalanx beast tries to save them or forge does but mr sinister pulls them back he's like you're crazy we gotta get out of here and amelia suggests that they go to the arctic circle to get more help and it's here we discover uh, Magneto has this secret base in the North Pole somewhere. Uh, at first, I was like, oh, I wonder who, who they're going to see. And you said, 
uh, Superman. <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> I know. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> and Magneto's like in this like super advanced Arctic base that he's constructed for himself, surrounded by computers and like digital like GPS equipment or something. And uh, he's grown a beard. He's really sad and morose. And they try to explain to him that uh, the world's being taken over by this alien like infestation or something. I mean, first of all, I was surprised that Magneto was surprised to learn about this. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you seem to be surrounded by, like, weird... Detection equipment. Yeah, like, weird NSA-level computer systems. You're not aware of what's going on. Uh, maybe he just hasn't plugged himself into the internet. Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect. Um, and that, But I don't know. It, it, the other weird thing he says is that... Ever since he lost Astro and M, he's gotten depressed and just wants to stop fighting in general. Whatever his cause is, has always been a failure. He's tired of the daily struggle. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's, like, given up on life. And he says, like, oh, the world's about to be destroyed. Let it end. I, you know, it's there's no point. He's such an egotist, mm-hmm. right, that if his cause fails, that everyone else has to die with him. Right? Mm-hmm. I thought that was – that was actually – No, he's just depressed. He's all. really depressed, yeah. Uh, it was also there's a nice moment between him and Mr. Sister where they realize that they really have insane contempt for each other. They start in, uh, trading insults. That's a nice moment. Well, I just I don't know. I find that interesting that these villains hate each other. Uh, the, you know, he calls Mr. Sinister a creature. Yeah, isn't that left over from like the last episode where we saw them tangle? Well, there's a few. They've been together, and the main fight they had was uh, in the Savage Land. I feel like it's continuity from that. Than, yeah, but yeah. they did see each other again. They teamed up with Apocalypse in Beyond Good and Evil, right? And they pretended to be friends, I guess, briefly before Magneto was. He was a double agent at the time. Yeah. But uh, anyway. Beast convinces him to help, though. He says, your son, Pietro, Quicksilver, has been captured. So he... Uh, so Magneto's like, oh, I guess I better, you know... Yeah, it was a quick turnaround. Yeah, and, and he's just met his son and, like, learned he had one, I guess. Which is kind of bizarre, too, but it's something to live for. Uh, meanwhile, um, Hodge, like, explains more of his backstory. Uh or he explains more about what the phalanx are trying to do. He says that he, like, after Genosha, when he lost his arm and his leg, he joined some sort of UFO task force. I don't know if he joined the Genosian UFO task force or the American UFO task force. Either way, he's joined some sort of alien task force where he's going around the world, like, looking at crashed alien sites Mm -hmm. and collecting data for some government. And uh, in the Marvel Universe, that there are a lot of crashed UFOs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've seen in the X-Men world alone, there's, like, giant fish things that fall out of the sky and other sorts of, you know, Shi'ar and tons of aliens. So he, he, I'm sure he was busy. <laughs> but he really loved the phalanx when he found them, though, because they gave him an arm and a leg. And he, I guess but the fact that he lost his arm and his leg, uh, he, like, really resented having flesh. And the phalanx were like a nice alternative where it's not about having flesh, it's about being part of some sort of techno unity mm. or something. So it's like a bizarre, like, like humanistic reason that he wanted to help the phalanx. Uh, he seems to have like retained an element of his personality, which is strange because everyone else in the universe of the phalanx seemed to be zombies. Uh, and then he like goes way over the top talking about what the phalanx's plan is for the universe. He basically says that like. Genetic reproduction is flawed and creates weak creatures with, you know, that are, like, inferior. But he says with digital reproduction, things can be perfect. And that he wants to help create a, quote, final solution 
uh, to end the scourge of genetic mutation. Oh, so it's also tied in with this hatred of mutants too. Mm. So, but the usage of the words "final muta- uh, final solution" is like really dark and on the nose. But again, you know, I think it's. I- I'm not gonna like. I'm not gonna knock the show for going there by like invoking Holocaust terminology and uh, you know imagery and real like history by using a phrase like final solution because so much of what this show is about it's like a total anti-nazi show right Mm. like all the lessons they teach are about uh freedom from oppression and freedom from bigotry and about like not like giving into totalitarian regimes and it's like if you give into like hate and evil and and into a dictatorship it it turns way worse than you can ever imagine like i.e the sentinels Mm -hmm. and like dark dystopia so, I, like, really, like, one of the biggest themes of this entire series has been, like, anti-fascism, uh, essentially. So, you know, like I said, to me, like, not... It didn't, like, raise too much of an eyebrow for this villain to invoke, like, Holocaust terminology. So now we cut to the Empire State Building, the uh, center of the nexus of the phalanx... Not the earth, that the right. earth, ba- <laughs> the earth-based phalanx, <laughs> center of the nexus. Anyways, um, and we see like Gambit is being assimilated. So slowly, the phalanx is learning how to actually assimilate the the mutants. Supposedly through Wolverine's bones, right? And it looks really painful for both Wolverine and Gambit in yeah. this moment. Gambit's clothing is getting techno illuminated right. in a bizarre way. But uh, Wolverine has one of his all-time classic lines mm. in this moment. Yeah. Good. Uh, <laughs> you want me to read it? Yeah. He says, uh, the, uh, Cameron Hodge is like, yeah, you're really helping us, Wolverine. And he says, the only thing I'll help you do is carve your tombstone. Right. And that's... So dark. That's a badass line that yeah. could fit in any movie to this day from Wolverine. <laughs> and uh, interesting, evoking carving imagery with him, you know, and right, his claws. Yeah. Uh, but uh, luckily, the the Resistance X Men force comes. They break in. Uh, they have this plan to free Jean and Polaris. Uh, another callback to the X Factor episode. Polaris, the green haired mutant, secret other daughter of Magneto, not Scarlet Witch. Right. Uh, they need them to help fight off the Phalanx. So, and it's cool to see Polaris in her full X Factor uniform. Mm-hmm. She, I think, like in the comics, she like famously starts off in some like bizarre like black and green witch outfit and then she gets some other costumes throughout the years but this is like her classic mid-90s x-factor like it's like almost like a utilitarian x-men outfit uh blue and yellow with all the belts and stuff uh sinister uh is a funny moment where he frees cyclops oh yeah and cyclops like assumes that they're fighting him (laughs) cyclops is like oh you're behind this i should have known and (laughs) immediately shoots him in the face but like sinister luckily dodges a point blank blast yeah and uh, so, someone quickly explains to him that he's a, a good guy. Right. I think it's Amelia, actually, is like, no, he's on our side now. Right, yeah, Amelia, yeah. And then uh, outside, uh, Beast and Magneto with Warlock, they like they're, they form a Magneto bubble, and they, they travel through like the guts of the phalanx through the building. Mm-hmm. And it's like this gross thing. It's almost like seeing a red blood cell swim through a bloodstream. Yeah. Sort of that—that that was the thing that, like, struck out to me, and um, 
and then you know they're they're trying to obviously they want to get Warlock in there to release the virus. There's a funny beat in between where uh, Cameron Hodge sees Magneto. And he's like, oh, Magneto, you've grown a beard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, what does he say? He's just like, oh, you wear it well or something Yeah, like he's like, that. somehow you wear it well. Or like it you ma- suits you. Yeah, managed to, you managed to pull it off. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's just really funny. I like that they, uh, you know, the way they make these cartoons, they have to, I think they have to, they do the audio first and then they animate them afterwards. So it's just funny that in the script that someone wrote that Magneto had the beard. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like that could have been a thing that they added afterwards. But I guess they were very conscious of giving him a beard. Um, and Magneto, as we know, we've discussed, he's a real like beefcake of a fifty-five-year-old man. Uh, so you know, people always—it's—it's it's funny to see the show comment that he's a good-looking guy, <laughs> um, even if it's by a deranged, like disembodied head of a mutant. Uh, hater like Hodge. Uh, so then Warlock, he's in the middle of the Nexus, he unleashes the virus, uh, and then, like, it works right away. The Empire State Building turns back to normal, the people of New York are freed from their zombie curse, and then we, we are su- to assume that the virus spreads, like, throughout the rest of the planet, and Earth is saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hodge himself is not dead. He he's like turns back into a human, and he's disgusted. Yeah. He's, he's like flesh. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you know. I, I read in the previously on X Men book by Eric Lee Wald that they wanted to have Warlock die in the end, but they—I don't think the Fox censors would have allowed that. Mm. So he's okay, and his life mate's also okay. Right, they and, reunite. Right, which is touching. And then there's some more love. We see Gene and Scott unite, and they make out uh, as they do often at the end of these episodes when their lives are in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, making out in front of Rogue again, <laughs> although Rogue, Rogue's standing there, but she has nothing to say. And then, uh, the, and then, like we said in the earlier in the episode, Warlock Forge is going to help Warlock build a ship to return to his home planet. He's going to free it from the Nexus. Right. And then Magneto and Quicksilver hug as well. They are also, for some reason, have a bond now. Yeah. Well, they're all like standing around. It's like the X Men and you know, with Professor X and yeah. Sinister and Magneto. And Magneto's like, Charles, don't get any funny ideas. Right. I'm not on your side just because we had this one like moment together. Yeah. <laughs> like, and first of all, Magneto, it's been more than one moment. You guys have worked together a lot throughout this entire series. Yeah, well. And second of all, I mean, his point is, like, he doesn't... He says, like, I don't, like, sense that there's going to be any sort of, like, mutant brotherhood because Mr. Sinister's there and he still hates Mr. Sinister and they all have their own evil plots to do. Yeah. And he says this is not going to be a new age. So every time, like, Professor X, like, reaches to try to build a bridge, it's always quickly yeah. demolished. Uh, he's... He, um, you know, and I, th- I admire that about Professor X. He's always trying to, like, point out to these characters, like, listen... Uh, if we all just work together... Yeah, like we just did now, everything's going to be fine, and yeah. no one's buying it fully. It's it's the, the curse of being an idealist, I guess. Mm. And so then that's the end of the Phalanx Covenant. Uh, like I said, I thought this was a really, like, riveting episode. Uh, great action, great cameos, uh, satisfying conclusion, even though it was a bit like kid-friendly in a way but still everything turned back to normal um you know again such as the X-Men world is that this seems like a ton of damage was done to the world mm. uh so I, I hope well the they wor- show it all like being put right again with I, the citizens and stuff I, I guess but still it's gonna be a, a rough week to reflect upon if you were the citizens of the earth uh they gotta put a lot of things back together uh uh but you know it, 
uh, that's part of the charm of the X Men series too. They really uh, they really tie up all the loose ends mm. uh, by saving the day. So uh, I I was stunned about how much I enjoyed the Failings Covenant personally. I had not much memory of it. I definitely remember seeing it. I don't remember enjoying it as a kid. Uh, as an adult, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, your thoughts? I liked the storyline. I I think the weakest point for me was the way they did Warlock. And I don't know how close or far it is from the comic representation. It was a little uh, silly for me, like in context of in the context of like a really serious episode. Otherwise, with a lot of good like sci-fi stuff going on, he was like a wacky Roger Rabbit type cartoon character. It like for me, it was almost like a Jar Jar Binks. Presence. Oh right, yeah, he looks like Jar Jar Binks. He looks and sounds like right. Jar Jar his Binks. his vocabulary and grammar is very the way he moves pronouns around and says. Myself, me. I, no, he that, never says my, and he never says me. He only he, says self. Yeah, self. Self thinks that you know whatever. He his, yeah. his words are all backwards and forwards because he's a computer. Right. And he'll say like query. You know, like what are you doing right now? Yeah. He announces questions. Self friend Hank McCoy. Right. Yeah. So yeah, there is something Jar Jar Binksian about him. He's way less annoying than Jar Jar Binks, though. Yeah, I was just thinking like probably the first time through watching this before Jar Jar Binks existed, I probably wasn't bothered by it, <laughs> no, but no. now that we're in a universe where Jar Jar Binks exists, you think he's just watching like Jar- this, I'm like, ugh. You just think because physically he sort of looks like Jar Jar Binks, he's tall and lanky and he's got weird, like, almost like dreadlocks or something, and... I don't know, the whole floppy ears manifestation, and- like, just didn't sit quite right with me, yeah. but... And, like, he was a major character, you know, so I think that... Well, uh, he, unlike Jar Jar, he's like a little more heroic and brave. He's got some agency and there's a love angle. I, I liked Warlock. I, I I wasn't that upset about it. Um, I, I liked the character. Uh, wasn't offensive in any way. Um, so yeah, uh, a really actually so a really two great episodes to start season five. So my overall expectation season season five is going to be really degrading quality. It hasn't happened yet. You, we say that every time. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, <laughs> right. But no, I, I, like I said, I don't even know what the next episode we're covering is. I'm not looking ahead. I want to be fully surprised. Okay. So we'll just take it. We'll be surprised week to week to see what happens. Mm-hmm. All right. That's all I have to say. Uh, let's do our plugs. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Willie Simpson. You can rate and review us five stars on iTunes, wherever you rate and review podcasts. It goes a long way to helping our cause. Uh, you can also uh, join the X-Men Task podcast. Just search it out on Facebook, the group, and uh, you can converse with us and tell us what you really think about things. And um, and also, uh, you know, we'll shout out um, that in Season 5 we're looking to get some fans uh, to maybe guest on uh, a few episodes uh, as part of Fan Appreciation Season 5. Uh, so we'll, we'll, that's the little bat signal to our fans there. If they want to do it, reach out to me. Um, we still have plenty of time, so don't if I haven't, if you reached out to me and I haven't gotten in touch with you yet, um, I'm not sliding you. It's just like there's a lot of kinks to work out, and um, I'll get to you. Don't worry about it, and we'll see what we can do. Uh, Sonia, any final words before we depart this week? Um, should I start calling you self partner Willie from now on? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be quite uh, romantic of you, and I really appreciate it. That's the whole point of this podcast has been for you to get to this moment. Uh, okay. All right. Very good. Goodbye, self partner right. Willie. All right. Goodbye, self partner Sonia. Goodbye, self uh, audience fans. <laughs>